welcome to Building a Fighter. This is Alex Friedman, a strength and conditioning coach in Denver, Colorado with Landout Performance. And with me, as always, my co-host, Austin Shane, sports chiropractor out in Phoenix, Arizona, working with the Fight Ready team out there. Scottsdale, bitch. Um, We're bougie. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> Going into today, we're going to start and coin a new series, uh, Lessons from the Field, which is kind of all about things you're going to learn through MMA and only through being on the mat in MMA. Being on the mat, being coaching with the people or being like in the, the hustle, uh, per se. So things that you're really only going to learn when you're in the field. So Lessons from the Field number one today is we're going to talk a little bit about what's the difference between like our collegiate folk style wrestling and that grind or that skill set technically. And what have we learned from the field that works in MMA grappling or works for MMA grappling? Austin, you want to open it up with a technique? Yeah, you get choked a lot. (laughs) You get choked a lot. Um, Head on the outside shots. That's probably where I'd want to start with that. Right. Um, How about something even simpler is like tucking your chin versus keeping your head up and high the whole time. Yep. No, it's it's one of those things that anybody coming from college wrestling into, into grappling or MMA, you need to be aware of. It's something that I got caught with probably, I mean, I still do, but really frequently (laughs) the first year that I was training with the guys at fight ready, um, where I could hit whatever shot I want, head on outside, single high crotch, double leg doesn't matter if I am not suit extremely quick off the ground. So if I get stuck on my knees at all, oh boy, I'm fucked. Like I'm, I'm getting guillotined all day. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'll say that I face the same truth where you can, you can get pretty much whatever takedown you want. Like takedowns are hugely less valued um, mm-hmm. in MMA. It's like, yeah, that's cool. You're going to get in a position. You score some points, but it's not like the match decider. Like it is in, in I don't know if I'd agree with bit. that. I would, I, I would push back on that a little bit where I think okay. takedowns are extremely valuable in MMA. As long as I, I think where I would, agree with you is the takedown, I guess, isn't the, the main driver. It's the solidification of the takedown. It's the control that you gain from being able to do a takedown. Is yeah. The there's a little part. more of like wrestling. The, the goal is to get the takedown. MMA is the goal is like, okay, what's he going to do with the takedown? Right. Cause it's not a, it's not a two point to one point thing, right? Yeah, it's if you get a takedown, they get right back up. You just wasted a lot of energy that you mm-hmm. now don't have for your third round. Right. So, so all that being said, because you can get what takedown you want, but then where are you going next or how are you getting caught next with your head up in a guillotine um, in somebody's full guard, which also sucks um, or like head on the inside, I think yeah, is, is very valuable and learning to finish a double from there, learning to go straight into more body locks. I feel like upper body um, and that might be our next point, upper body positioning, shoulder pummeling um, and everything like this short with your elbows becomes super invaluable where mm-hmm. And like folks that wrestling is not always the option to go upper body with somebody like you're also looking for shots more. So I tell people, I tell our guys, I want you to act like you're wrestling, like an athletic heavyweight. Like yeah. I, I want you to hit your knees as little as possible. You can still take leg attacks, right? You can still yeah. hit a, a snatch single. You can hit a power double, just that penetration step. While it's extremely valuable to learn how to cover distance in that short amount of time, that's all penetration step does, right? That's why we do it is to close distance. Um, There's different ways to do this without having to touch your knee and be as exposed. So we talked about it before the Cuban step, that foot back foot to front foot, front foot to their foot. I can grab my single. I can grab my double. I can really get a body lock is what I typically do with it. Um, But closing the distance. 
is well, the biggest thing. Yeah. And you have to almost change your strategy and technique when you got hands coming your way, you know, when mm-hmm. you're throwing hands, like you, you're a hundred percent not going to, again, in high level MMA, you should never see somebody take a full on penetration, like duck walk shot, yeah. right? That's, that's too far away. That's um, lunging for your takedown and almost running into something versus like Austin saying the Cuban step or close distance with your hand, uh, your hands combination into the shot or slipping a punch into the shot. Um, so yeah, I think that the method of covering distance with your hands, we actually had just had a really hard practice for myself at factory X where we had our big gloves on mm-hmm. and depending on the, um, turn or the specific rules of the go, like the, Guy on defense could only use his rear hand to defend a single or a shot from the offensive wrestler. And the guy on offense could only use his front hand or something like that with these restricted games that were super hard because they were based on footwork, um, head movement, and like almost like counter wrestling or box or like counter boxing, mm-hmm. which your boy is not well versed in. <laughs> <laughs> so um, all that to be said. There's a different way of, of closing distance than a penetration step or uh, a misdirection. Yep. And I, I feel like the next place to go with this, talking to college wrestlers trying to come over or college mm-hmm. wrestling coaches that want to help MMA fighters too, or any coaches, is the setups are completely different. Oh, yeah. 100%. That's, that is the one thing that I, st- I struggle with a lot, um, but because I have no striking knowledge um, other than what our coaches have taught me so that I can kind of get by as an MMA coach, not just a grappling coach. Um, but being able to blend your strikes as your setups is probably the most important thing of transitioning from a college wrestler to a MMA fighter. Well, I think in MMA in general, the the skill of blending is like the, the sought after right. skill, right? right? Like that's the, that's, what's going to make you next level. That's going to bring you to the table is once you blended your striking grappling submission game, um, knockout game, whatever it is, the more you can blend and intermix those things. And in all senses of the world, become a mixed martial artist, right? That's mm-hmm. the, the evolution of the sport that we see happening right in front of us. Well, and so many times we get told as we're wrestling, chain wrestling, chain wrestling, chain wrestling. Yeah. And all blending is, is just, chain fighting <laughs> yeah right yeah. that is being being a mixer being a blender whatever you want to call yourself being somebody that can integrate striking and grappling and go back and forth yeah all that is is just chain fighting and you don't have to make it harder than it is i feel like everybody tries to be like oh you need to do this setup to hit your double leg blah 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 when in yeah. reality we probably should be just play wrestling except play fighting touch spar see what opens up put on your puffies put on your nine ounces just touch spar see what strike opens up what shot for you. Because if you're a, one of my, I'm going to corner this weekend, Tommy McMillan up in Montana, he's a six foot one, 135 pounder. Him versus Hunter Azure, who is a five, nine, five, eight, 135 pounder. Their strikes are going to be, are going to open up different shots, right? So being able to find what works for you and what sets up your shots is going to be crucial. And I feel like so many times we try to drill, drill, drill. And while drillers do make killers, you should probably just play around with once you know how to do a proper jab, once you know how to do a proper cross, once you know the fundamentals, just play wrestle, play spar and figure out what works for your body style and your fighting style. Yeah. So you got to find the the flow and almost like that, that instinctual reaction into it, where it's instead of a cognitive combination into a shot, right? That's like the, you have to hit the routine every time you want to take a shot or get a takedown instead of having the script 
You need to be able to be free flowing and really like in the zone, quote unquote, to make those choices on the fly automatically. Like and, water, and, as yeah, Bruce like Lee says. getting into your flow state type of, of operations. Right. And that's as I, I've had a pretty recent re- revelation in my own coaching of this is like we've been kind of retooling our wrestling philosophy at the high school that I wrestled mm-hmm. and we're starting to emphasize different systems where this works into that, et cetera. And one thing we've been drilling on our feet pretty much nonstop is like a snatch single or a, a knee pole single, right. To attack that a little more efficiently and have our finishes down pat. Um, but we were talking the other day about defenses and how to get around wizards and limp arms and, and things like this. And like a coach brought up to me is like, all right, now people doing that, that cutback till all the time. And in single like defense is like, and, and really he's like, how are we going to avoid that? Whatever. And I had my own answer, whatever, but I was like thinking I had to stop. And I was like, I do that all the time. I hit that move all the time, but I cannot technically explain to you right now how I do it. The cutback till. Yeah. Like, um, like you just get on autopilot and then you start hitting your techniques rather than thinking about, oh, I take this step and I block his knee with my arm and then this and that happens. Like when once you get to a like that flow state, you don't think about mm-hmm. the individual because you're techniques. unconsciously competent. Right. You're doing them and feeling that out. And I feel like that's the next step, um, I guess, is my convoluted way of explaining all of that. Well, dude, that's why I'm so excited for this this first crop of Kale Sanderson taught Penn State wrestlers. To yeah. get into MMA, we see the Bo Nichols. We see, uh, I know Roman Bravo is going to get into MMA. Um, you see, who else is training? Um, uh, Kirk Levitt's probably going to get in. Say those Nolf are the big might, two that I know. Nolf might get in. Like all of these guys that are from the, the play wrestling, that's where it became popular was Kale. Yeah. And seeing how they transition into MMA, I think is going to be an extremely good lesson or a well-taught lesson for wrestlers because yeah. they're the cream of the crop, A, from a skill standpoint, but B, from a flow and a blender and a mixer standpoint in just one skill set, which is wrestling. Yeah. If they go from this is what they're taught through their entire college career, and then they can pick up blending, striking with wrestling better than the normal wrestler. That automatically tells me that if I, my, my athlete wants to be a fighter, then I need to prioritize their chain wrestling. I need to prioritize their play wrestling. That needs yeah. to be something that isn't just a afterthought, but a main part of their training moving forward. Cause it's going to set themselves up or, or that's going to set them up for success as they transition to the next part of their career. Yeah. It definitely gives it a vote for a, like a superior system um, of operation, right? Like as soon as, if we can grasp that full a little quicker. And I think, in summary, for a lot of the last couple minutes, like we've been talking about like what we learned and some technical points that we changed, but like those are two really big similarities, right? The the chaining, the consistent attacking kind of style that goes with it is is intensely similar. And I think that's why you see so much success from wrestlers transitioning to MMA is because the um the ambitions and the grind are a little bit more similar than that of any other sport in mixed martial arts. Um and I, one thing I'll say. Two, on a technical side, that is very similar, are the angles that you need to create in order to have success in MMA, right? And wrestling is constantly about cutting the angle on a takedown, constantly about creating opportunities. You do the same exact thing all day with uh, mixed martial arts. Right, or boxing in particular, like our boxing yeah. coach says it all the time. He's like, the only difference between boxing and wrestling is that one of them you punch, one of them you take a shot. The yeah. footwork and the angles and everything else, the distance is relatively the same. Yeah. That's why wrestlers gravitate gravitate towards overhand rights. They gravitate towards boxing. If they're going to pick one striking style to pick up, 
almost every wrestler immediately goes right to boxing because yeah, it's their 100%. range. Right. Oh. Yeah. And, and you're comfortable in that range too, where a lot mm-hmm. of people kind of shy away from it. Like as a, as a wrestler, I want to be in that middle range and like the closer I'm getting to you offensively or defensively, the better. Yep. Right. So I you, think that feeds into itself. Yeah. You said something that I want to highlight too. Sure. It's, it's something that good wrestlers do and they should transition into MMA with so far. We've been talking about things that wrestlers are going to get caught up with. Right, this right, is right. something you fucking need to keep when you get into MMA. Mm-hmm. The fact that even when you're on defense, you're on offense. Yeah. The you countering. need to be the aggressor at all points in times. Even if you're just countering things, you should be looking to score. And yeah. by score, I mean, dominate, right? We see it a lot with, uh, with people that are going against somebody, whether it's a striking battle or whether it's a grappling battle, say somebody's putting you against the cage, um, which is something I want to talk about later. If an athlete puts me against the cage and I'm in a, in, in at fight ready and they're putting me against the cage, I'm not looking to just get off the cage. <laughs> I feel yeah. like so many people, they're just trying to be like, oh shit, I got to get off the cage. I'm looking to then if, cause I'm a wrestler to cement their ass against the cage right away. So my first thought is I'm not just going to get off. My first thought is I am trying to flip the script, put them on the cage and go right after my attack, right after yeah. my takedown. So many yeah. people, when they get into uncomfortable situations, or if somebody grabs their leg, say, for example, like I, I, I am somebody that if you grab my leg, oh, you're fucked. <laughs> like, that's my favorite thing is when somebody shoots on me, because then I get to my offense. That's yeah. how you need to be thinking at all points in time, whether it be striking, whether it be cage wrestling, whether it be regular wrestling, whether it be jujitsu. This is where I see it a lot with wrestlers is that they take them down and then the jujitsu athletes like, oh, this is my world now. And you're not actually you're afraid of what they're going to do. You're not actually trying to get to the positions that you can dominate at like a half guard or right. like a like a side control with with proper positioning and locking that upper body down stuff like that where we know you are good we just get flustered and they're like oh my god they're really good at submissions they're going to go after kimuras and shit and then you're just kind of fucked right and it's kind of that old school thought uh thought process like i shoot i score he shoots i score mm-hmm. right? you're like you're being aggressive in your defense uh whether it's a genuinely a sprawl or was counter striking um, but yeah, it's like the, the mentality, I guess, I think it, it was part of that. The biggest thing where, um, you're stalking, you're constantly on offense. You're looking for opportunities, even again, went on the defensive. So I really like that transition very similarly. I think, you know, <laughs> my biased opinion, not every other sport has that. Like, I'm sure you got your killers and your kickboxing gyms and your killers and your, uh, jujitsu gyms or whatever, but that, that forward mentality doesn't always transition the best from those disciplines within right. MMA. Um, And before we move on, like a a good real world application, because this is something people can train is when I'm not a big sprawler. You ever saw me wrestle? Not a big. And the reason being is if you grab my leg, I'd rather come into you than away. If I, if I, if you grab my leg in a single leg and you can lift it up, I don't give a shit. And I go to you, not away from you. That immediately puts you on your heels and you're like, oh, what the fuck is this guy doing? And we see this with the best people in MMA right now. They don't go away if somebody shoots on, they feed their hips. They go right into them. If they get a single leg up in the air, they're they're like, I've seen a few times where they full on clock the shit out of them with a right. They throw a two right on the chin. They're like, they're going to their offense. They're getting creative. That's what you can train in practice, right? It's as soon as somebody shoots on you, do you back away and try to get back and just get to a reset position? Or do you try to attack? Do you try to win that exchange? Do you try to make them fear taking that shot again? That's what I want my athletes to, because that's what breeds champions. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. I think, yeah, it's a mentality that you work on in training. Exactly. Like you said, 
Um, but I think along with that mentality of um, always forward and kind of you're always on the offense, I've learned exclusively and through, through very tough personal lessons that anytime you're really on the bottom in mixed martial arts, right? <laughs> Unless you have like significant jujitsu skill off your back, anytime you're on bottom is not a good time. You never want to get there. Like uh, I remember one of the first two in my practices I jumped into, I was like, Oh, he's got me in a front headlock. There's no problem. I can hit my arm drag. I can hit my hand control, this, that, blah, blah, blah. And then comes a swinging fist into my face. I was about to say, they light up your liver. Yeah, 100%. It hit the <laughs> ribs. Yeah. yeah, went for the Darces, went for the, the Anaconda chokes. It was just like the front head underneath and turtle position, whatever. Like things that aren't that threatening in wrestling yeah. are very threatening in MMA. You never want to be kind of in the, the um, I don't know, for lack of a better term, the beta position. You don't want to be on the bottom on the uh, the defensive. You want to be able to maintain your hips and stay offensive, stay on top. Like, um, and I know a lot of schools have that wrestling style. Like, um, you know, don't go underneath or shoot bad shots and everything like that. But man, MMA really pay the price for going underneath somebody. Yep. When you need that sense of urgency to get the fuck up, right? Oh, amen. Yes. Like we, I, I was guilty of this all the time. Like if I took a bad shot, I would just hang on an ankle. Yeah, I'm, right. ah, I, I could waste 20 seconds here. We'll be all good. But now you get, get back up. smashed in the face. On Bro, you have that mentality. We've, I've seen a few of our, like, I mean, we've had guys from the Olympic training center come down and, and join our team and they're great wrestlers and they take a low single. And I see Henry Corrales just throw a fucking kidney shot and, oh, they're hurting for like a week <laughs> after that. Yep. And I'm like, hey, you're going to learn one way or the other. You cannot Don't. hang on shots. Don't in MMA. sit in that position. Exactly. Yes. And anything you, you have to be, unless you're on the cage and you need a break or something like that, and you have a dominant position that you can take a breath, you in all reality should not be sitting static. My high school coach told me one time and it stuck with me forever. Todd Raymond, I appreciate you. I know you listen. Um, he's like, if you put your hands on somebody, you better fucking use it. Otherwise, that's a waste. The exact same thing happens in MMA because it's such an energy constrainted sport. I just yep. made up a word, constrainted, but mm. it it's requires a, a lot of energy and it's just like a stat bar. Just like if you're playing Tekken, it's going to go down, right? No matter what, you're going to get tired. So you might yep. as well be as efficient as possible. If you put your hands on somebody, you better have an intention to score or to set something up. If you're not looking for that, then it's, it's literally... You're just wasting energy and you're draining your stat bar for no gain. Yeah, 100%. And speaking of the, the endurance of the stat bar analogy, like it's way less exhausting to be on top. Yep. It's way more exhausting to be underneath somebody and have that sense of urgency and fight out from there. Um, both from a, a physiological standpoint, as well as like a mental standpoint, right? You, you put yourself kind of on alert and then you get a really high and that mental state causes you to almost panic a little bit and then subconsciously either mentally physiologically like run on high and then you get out of energy a lot quicker versus if you're controlling positioning you're confident in your positioning or you're staying in your game if you will you're gonna spend a lot less energy mentally you're not gonna be panicking about getting tired you're not gonna be panicking about oh shit i got out of this position right now um so you have a little bit of more edge conditioning wise, but it's really not anything we train for physiological. I shouldn't say anything we train for anything we physically prepared for. It's a, a comfort factor that's going to lead to so many conditioning gains. Yep. Get to positions you like. <laughs> no, I wouldn't even say that. Just I simplified to to, coaching for everybody. Get to say, the positions get, you feel comfortable in. 
Well, I would say get to positions that are dominant and you feel comfortable. And like, like you said, you feel comfortable hanging on to a single underneath. It's not a good position to go. Right. But like, I see all the time guys, like you said right away, right? You take a shot, you go into full guard and they just hang out in full guard. There's no sense of urgency to get anywhere from that. Yeah. Half guard is a dominant position that a wrestler can dominate in that you should feel comfortable as a wrestler in top half guard, but then there's no need to pass to mount there. There's yeah. none more bad things can happen passing from half guard to mount than good things. If you're a wrestling heavy fighter. A lot of times, so yeah. why are we trying to go from half guard to mount when you're extremely comfortable and you can lay down your ground and pound from half guard and you have an entire quadrant of their body locked underneath you. <laughs> yeah. Like I, we, this is something that happened and it, it's, it happened in Bellator. So everybody can see it. One of my fighters, Dan Moret. He fought Spike Carlisle two and a half months ago, three months ago. He beat the living fuck out of this guy for probably 11 minutes. And his cardio was fine. He looked good. He looked, it's the best I've ever seen Dan look. And then he made the crucial mistake of he had a half guard locked up. He's like, oh, I'm going to go for the finish right away. Instead of just fucking raining down from half guard, passed a mount, Spike came out the back and mount, hopped on his back, and the little energy Spike had left just snatched a rear naked choke, choked Dan out unconscious. He won. He 10 aided him for two straight rounds and he lost a fight because he made the crucial mistake of not just being in a position that he's comfortably can just dominate from to try to get to the next best. Yeah. And that's, that's your risk analysis, right? Like you have to understand that there is risk going for the more offensive positions or the, the mount to a submission to a ground and pound and stuff like that. Like um, or where I see it a lot in the UFC specifically is like getting a knockdown. Like what is the, the risk reward of jumping on the finish and going ham for it versus, you know, playing it patient and looking for the next opportunity, being confident that you get another opportunity. Another example of one of my fighters, Vanessa Demopoulos got yeah. fucking rocked. She got yeah, yeah, dropped. Yeah. She was out cold. She submitted the chick blacked out uh, and fucking this girl jumps on top, knocked her, knocked her down. I think her name's Silvana or something like that. Knocked mm-hmm. her straight up, knocked down, jumped on top, tried to get the finish. Vanessa's a world champ in every belt she's held and just straight up, just a masterclass in jujitsu sneaks in a sneaky arm bar, locks yeah. that shit up, submitted her, got a 50 K bonus just I because this girl that, yeah. tried to force a finish yeah so you have to be able to make that risk reward assessment in the moment and then they react accordingly and like accurately and th- those are the hard lessons that you learn that's the hard well again one of the harder things in jujitsu to get to but on the back of that as well like there is definitely a a skill to being confident uh within your cardio mm-hmm. i guess i would say right so like <laughs> if you're confident in your game plan and you're, you're confident in your positioning um in the cage, there's going to be a boost in conditioning, not for physical factors, but for just mental or pure um, like comfort level, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. And it's you see it a lot with the fight. Like uh, a good example is Colby Covington. He knows he can yeah. step into that cage and he's going to be the better conditioned fighter 11 times out of 10. And he fights yeah. like it. The same thing with Max Holloway. <laughs> uh-huh. Hundred percent, and like, and they dominate from those positions. It's like a, a positive feedback loop, right? Like, I'm in positions that I'm dominant, and I'm expending less energy from them. So, therefore, I have more energy to move to the next dominant position where I have more energy, and they have to expend more. And then it's a, a self-repeating cycle there, where they don't choose to rest in the defensive or the suboptimal positions. Like, I know guys like to find pockets to lock down positions or, or quote unquote get, get some rest, or after a flurry, you can't scramble forever. Like make that position a 
offensive and um, advantaged position. Yeah, make it useful. Make yeah. make it mean something. Make it put the judges in their mind that you're scoring on the judges' score. Yeah, be the guy pushing and pinning somebody into the cage versus the guy getting pinned into the cage. Mm-hmm. Like we both know in the octagon or within practice, no to the go neither of those two guys are super threatened or it doesn't feel like that advantage of a position, but it looks like so much more of an advantaged position. Yep. Yep. So make that, make that work for you. Those, those static rest positions, make those work for you. I think is, uh, is the main point of that entire rant. For sure. And the last thing, at least the last thing I had is focus on, we mentioned it earlier, focus on your leg to body transitions as a college wrestler. So mm-hmm. many times we stay on the legs in wrestling because we can get into the scramble battle of we're in a side-by-side single leg position. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got an overhook. The other person either has a body lock or they're on a, on a single leg and they're going to try to shell fit and go around the back. That shit doesn't matter. Doesn't work. Isn't, isn't useful in MMA because right. that's a shoulder lock waiting to happen. What you can do is you can take a single leg and use that as your entrance into the body. You can use that as your entrance into your inside trip. You can use that as an entrance into a striking sequence. If you really want to blend shit in, you know what a single leg's really good for getting you into elbow range, getting you into knee range, right? You could fake a single leg and come right up the middle with like a step back knee. Their head's probably going to be there because they're going to sprawl. Yeah. Or into an uppercut or uh, sorry. And I want, I have one point off of that real quick is um, transition up the body versus down the body. Yep. Right. Like in college wrestling and in wrestling in general, like we're trying to grab the ankles, we're trying to corral the legs and get behind essentially mm-hmm. relative worthless. I can't tell you how many times and it pisses me off all the time. I get to a really good takedown wrestling position <laughs> and somebody just kicks their foot out willy nilly. No big deal. There's no wrestling shoes to grab. There's no, not secure enough ankle positioning there. So they just kick out and then all that work for not. So, know. you know, exactly you know what like it. I get wasted on all the time. It's that mm-hmm. underhook right into the throw by to the single leg. <clears throat> yeah. Like I step in, I chuck it over the top. I'm going, I'm draping for a single. I get the ankle and I'm like, oh, I'm comfortable here. And mm-hmm. then they don't have wrestling shoes on. So they just kick out and then we're back exactly where we started. I'm like, this exactly. is the worst. Right. But yeah. So exactly what you're saying, Austin, transitioning to the upper body movements and takedowns, which. Uh, I feel like I frowned upon more and more in folk style, like they're celebrating Greco, right? But um, transitioning that way instead of down to the ankles. Like in college wrestling, you have an ankle, you've done a really good job. You're on the offensive. And may you have an ankle, who the fuck cares? Watch out for the next shot coming, yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. Be, be afraid that you might end up in a 50-50 position if they roll through and get your ankle. And then yeah. if you're not the better leg locker, you're fucked. <laughs> oh, amen. So um, transitioning into your upper body stuff. And, and like, that's where I was kind of alluding to, like shoulder pummeling, um, head position, like head position is important in both pursuits, but uh, really making sure you have the tighter elbows, things like that. Like, hey, if you have tight Greco wrestling, um sorry i'm very close enough uh if you have like really polished greco-roman wrestling like that that's probably the biggest skill set of wrestling to transition into oh yeah mma for sure i wish i wish more collegiate wrestlers trained greco in the offseason instead of freestyle i know it makes sense it makes sense to transition left to right blah 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 like freestyle the folk style is easy yeah but greco is where the real men are made greco where's is where you can go from college wrestling to MMA seamlessly. Yeah, that'll make a big transition. But like, Gregor wrestling is also fun, man. Like, that, yeah, that's where like men are made or whatever. But like, in my wrestling upbringing, which was kind of basics driven and like shot driven, lower body attacks, right? Like, you're, you're almost like frowned upon to throw headlocks. 
right? Yeah. Um, Greco seems like you're breaking the rules. Seems like you can go in and just do all the fun shit that people tell you is really risky in folk style, right? So you get like a free ticket into all of that stuff. So that's kind of how I view Greco Roman wrestling for um, the last couple of years. And I've really had fun in that pursuit. Yeah. I love my Greco. It's absolutely <laughs> it's easy transition, but yeah, that's a lot of the, you know, technical also mentality aspects that, that come from lessons in the field, as far as learning in an MMA gym, what works from a collegiate wrestling room. Right. Mm-hmm. So that transition and growth, I know a lot of you guys are going through as far as wrestlers trying to transition. So or a lot of you coaches are seeing as more guys come through uh, with the wrestling background because MMA is becoming more and more the likely pathway to professional sport from wrestling. So, um, yeah, that's our podcast kind of in lessons on the field, transitioning wrestling to MMA grappling. Um, and uh, as always, we're building a fighter. Our website's up. We just had a couple of purchases on our programs. So uh, there's jujitsu wellness or individual specific programs with team programs. So Keep an eye out for that. Notice or know that that's a resource we can provide to you um, from two experts in strength and conditioning. So my name is Alex Friedman awesome. and we are out. Dope.